Jesus, today we thank you so much for that love that constantly pursues us, that even while we were still sinners, you still came after us. He still died a death on a cross for us. Jesus, we are so thankful for that. As Pastor Troy comes to bring your word, Jesus, we already know that you're in this place. We expect that you speak to us, that we hear your voice, and that we're obedient to you. We love you this morning. Amen. You guys may be seated. Hey, if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Mark chapter 10. I have to think about that a minute. Mark chapter 10. And by the way, man, as I look out at you guys, you are looking exceptionally good this morning. You really are. So glad to have, Brian, I see. <laughs> so glad to have every one of you here with us. Uh, this is a good morning, amen? Hey, uh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Amen. We love Lloyd and Diane Henthorne, and God is working with them and in their lives. That's awesome stuff, man. That's good stuff. Hey, we like good praise reports. Um, hey, speaking of praise reports, uh, and I will get to Mark chapter 10 in just a minute, um, but for those of you who have been around for a while, uh, I, by the way, you college students are getting ready to leave for Thanksgiving break, aren't you? Are you excited? Okay. Your new life family will miss you. Um, sorry, that was so incredibly random. I'm trying to think where I was going. <laughs> oh, yes. This Sunday morning, today, marks, this is November 21st, marks the completion of eight years in this building. Yeah. Now, now if um, you know if you're new, that won't be as big a deal to you. But if you've been here, especially if you were here during the high school auditorium days when we were setting up and tearing down every Sunday, I mean, just if you're a part of any of that, and this eight years has just been incredible. And there are so many things, so many things we could celebrate at the completion of this eight-year window that we've been in this building. Um, you know, I think of there have been so, so, so many people who have stepped across the line of faith and received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior in this eight-period, eight-year window. Yeah, I figured there'd be one hand clap or an amen or something there. Wow. Um, and then uh, many have grown deeper in their faith. Christians have taken steps deeper in their faith and have surrendered everything. Oh boy, I think of things we could celebrate that's happened in this eight-year window. I, I think of all of our community connections uh, through just all kinds of things we do in the community. Uh, boy, we could talk about a lot of stuff, but can I just tell you, one of the things that kind of stands out to me this morning um, 
over this eight-year period, this eight-year window we've been in this building that today designates, um, your financial generosity has blown my mind. I, I want to share something with you that you, you don't know. I guarantee you, you don't know this because I just learned it this week as Tom was helping me look through some numbers and stuff. Uh, which, by the way, in talking about financial generosity, you know what the Bible teaches without any confusion, without any way to misinterpret it, is that where your money is, your what is? Your heart is. Where your heart is, your money is. You can sing as loud as you want. You can tell people all you want to tell them. You can act any way you want to act. But the Bible teaches where your money is, that's where your heart is. Where your heart is, that's where, that's where your priorities are, right? And so your financial generosity has just been mind-blowing over this. You know, I'm just thinking in this eight-year period, this eight-year window that we're talking about here for a moment. Um, being a part of the Church of the Nazarene, you, you need to know this. Some of you don't even know what a Nazarene is. It's okay. It's okay. That's not the important thing. Um, but anytime you give a dollar bill to this church, it's divvied up in a lot of different areas. Uh, I, I want to just share some of this with you. Uh, but whether it's through Church of the Nazarene channels or whether it's just through channels, we just decided to do our own thing on something. Do you realize that over this eight-year window of being in this building, in addition to, that's three important words here, in addition to your, your financial generosity helping support kid life, we had uh, five kids get baptized in the first service. Um, yeah. Um, in addition to teen life, you saw some of the great things that happened at our teen retreat last weekend. In addition to sports ministries, in addition to what's happening in here this morning and online and just all the ministries. In addition to what happens here on 665 Harcourt Road. In addition to that, you... Over this eight-year window, this eight-year period, have given outside of ourselves over a million dollars to help our world and to help our community. This, this is awesome. This is mind-blowing to me because it talks about your heart, right? It talks about who we are. Uh, I, I, I have some of the things. You've helped pastors and missionaries through your generosity. You've helped us with a benevolence fund for people who are struggling. Uh, you've helped support Christian higher education through Mount Vernon Nazarene University. You've helped support church plants. You've helped support compassionate ministries. Uh, like we had Dwayne here a few weeks ago talking about Appalachia Reach Out. That's a compassionate ministry. Uh, you've helped support Mount Vernon City Schools. Uh, you've helped support... Uh, th there is a child development center in La Carbonera, Nicaragua, partially because of you guys. Uh, we team up with my brother's church to do that. Uh, there is a clean water project going on in Guatemala because of your support. Um, you've helped with world missions. And, and here's another thing, locally. So what have we done for our community? You help support Starting Point which is a crisis care, a family crisis care counseling center. Uh, they deal a lot with uh, unwed pregnant mothers who don't know what to do or where to turn. You've helped with the Escape Zone, which is a youth center, a phenomenal ministry, interchurch social services, Joy of Living Camp, Place for Grace, which is a place for unwed 
uh, pregnancy home, winter sanctuary, homeless shelter. You have given over a million dollars over this eight-year window to help support those things. And I don't say that, hear me, I do not say that so that you get the big head or you get all prideful or anything like that. I say that to give God the glory because he is working in our hearts, and that is a very concrete way of knowing that God is changing lives in our church, and I say praise the Lord. Yeah. Man, I'm just so glad to be a part of something bigger than myself, aren't you? Well, I want to talk to you this morning about uh, the illusion of greatness, uh, because we all have a desire within, no, no matter our background, no matter if we grew up in church, we didn't grow up in church, no matter our belief systems, one of the common grounds that we stand on is this. We all want to be significant, right? Maybe it feels weird to say we all want to be great. I, I, I want to be great, just in my humanness. You want to be great. We want to feel significant. It, it uh, reminds me of the guy he, who had been meeting with his psychiatrist, and uh, at the end of their session, the psychiatrist looked at the patient and said, hey, we're all done. You're better. You're cured. How do you feel? To which the patient responded, said, I feel absolutely horrible because when I came in here, I thought I was Napoleon Bonaparte, Emperor of France, and now I realize I'm a nobody. <laughs> We all want to be great in some way. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Jesus had a lot to say about greatness or significance. Uh, if we really hear the words of Jesus, his, his words are always challenging. Uh, his words are always problematic. You, you can't remain the same after you hear the words of Jesus. Um, the words of Jesus confront us with difficult realities uh, his teachings are challenging, and they always demand change in our lives. Um, and the teachings of Jesus, the words that Jesus says about greatness or significance, is completely countercultural. So here's a summary of what Jesus is going to show us today. Basically, what Jesus is saying that you and I, as human beings, um, there's this path to greatness. There's this path to significance that we tend to take, right? Uh, there's this route we go to feel important in the eyes of the world. And what Jesus is going to tell us is that when we take that path that is the tendency of every human being, this particular path to greatness, Jesus is going to tell us it has a horrible consequence. It leads to a dead end, but, but he's not going to leave us there. He's going to show us a different path to greatness, one that he took and one that he recommends for you and myself. So we're looking at a conversation in Mark 10. And by the way, keep your Bibles open to this because we're going to uh, work down through these verses as we go throughout the morning. So just keep your Bibles open if you have them open. Um, this is a conversation between Jesus and two of his disciples and here's how it begins. Mark chapter 10, look at verse 35. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here on the screen. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, came over and spoke to Jesus. Teacher, they said, 
we want you to do us a favor. Now, stop there. I love that they were so transparent. They, they have no problem with sounding selfish. And in this moment, they have no problem. You know, it's like they're coming to Jesus going, you know, hey, Jesus, this is going to sound a little weird. Um, but you're a great guy, and, we, man, we'd love to ask you to do us a solid right now, okay? We need a favor from you. Verse 36. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand, the other on your left. Now, stop there. Let me give you some context here. The disciples were still under the impression, even though Jesus had told them multiple times, the disciples were still under the, the impression that Jesus came to be an earthly, physical king, um, to have an earthly kingdom. Uh, he was going to overthrow Rome and do all of this really cool stuff. He was going to be a political leader. Uh, even though Jesus told them multiple times, that's not why I came. Jesus told them, my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. I am a spiritual leader. But they were hearing what they wanted to hear. So what they're saying in this moment is, is Jesus, when you rise to this level of greatness, we want you to give us, me and my brother, the seats on your right hand and your left hand. And, and, in other words, they, they're saying, Jesus, we want to be a part of your posse, right? We want to be a part of your crew. Um, it was several years back. I went with about 100 of our teenagers to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And in those travels, they taught me all the hip language of teenagers. And so here, if I was one of those teenagers, they'd go, Jesus, we want to be a part of your squad. Is that still? That's not? Okay. Looks like another trip to Arizona. Uh, because they know that if Jesus is going to be great, the closer they can get to Jesus, the more likely they are to have fame and power and influence and prestige and all of those things that will come with being next to this guy who's going to be super great. And, and this is exactly what the disciples are basically asking. Jesus, will you make us great? Now, the response of Jesus is interesting. Look at verse 38. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I'm about to be baptized with? Okay, stop there. He, he's, what he's saying is, he's saying, guys, look, I understand what you're asking. But you got to understand what I'm saying. Following me is not going to lead you down a path of comfort and ease and fame and glory and all this stuff. Jesus is looking them in the eye in this moment and going, following me is going to be incredibly difficult. Following me is going to be painful. Following me is going to be lonely. And Jesus is going, can you handle that? And I can just imagine uh, those two disciples standing there when Jesus kind of turned around or something, and they're kind of elbowing each other and going, I get it. This is the red tape we got to cut through. We got to say this stuff, you know, or whatever to get to cut through to greatness. And, and the disciples, those two disciples say, yeah, sure, show us we're in. Where, where's the dotted line? We'll sign on it. 
based on their response, they're a little bit clueless. Look at verse 39 and 40. Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Ouch! So not only does this mean they don't get to sit in these seats on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. They don't get to do that and they get to suffer. I mean, this is like an incredible lose-lose situation. Um, Now, the drama continues to unfold. Look at verse 41. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Okay, so the other disciples come along, and I can imagine them catching the second half of this conversation or whatever. And they are fired up um, because they wanted the same thing that James and John wanted. Um, They were saying to James and John, no, you can't have those seats. We want those seats. We want the fame. We want the power. We want the greatness. Uh, On a side note, what I love about this passage is that it is a very clear illustration that the disciples were no one special. Right? You know, sometimes we read things in the Bible and we think, wow, these people in the Bible, these disciples, all these folks, they had to be really incredibly super Christian people or something. But this is a very clear, clear illustration that they're just, they, they put their pants on the same way we put our pants on, right? Their robe or whatever they put on. Um, they were going, they were traveling down the same path that you and I tend to travel some 2,000 years later, this path to greatness. Um, You know, the world says, do whatever you need to. Strive as hard as you need to strive to gain the things that the world says makes you significant. Things like power and influence and intelligence and beauty and wealth and on and on. Which, by the way, all of these things give us a, sense, a false sense of security. Uh, if something gives you a false sense of security, it makes you believe basically that you're safe when you're not safe. This is the path we take to show the world that we're great. That's the tendency. We don't go down this path. We don't start down this path with impure motives. I'm, I'm not suggesting that as we jump on this path to greatness and significance, we started out like with this dream of, you know, dominating the world through our power and our fame and our good looks and all of our success. I'm not saying that. We don't start down the path. We want the promotion at work because typically, starting off at least, we want to be a better provider for our family, right? Um, Many of us chose careers or profession because we want to help people. You know, we, we start off with these good motives at the beginning of this path to greatness, but somewhere along the way, something gets turned around. And Jesus is about to unpack it for us. Jesus sees the disciples are worried about these issues of greatness. They're, they're mad at each other. They're 
these disciples are envying people who do seem to have worldly significance or, or greatness, people who have authority. They want to be those people. So look at verse 42. So Jesus called them together and said, You know what? You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. Now hit the pause button. When we read these words, these titles, these uh, descriptions of people, when Jesus refers to them as rulers and officials, we don't think of ourselves, right? We don't think of ourselves as rulers and officials. Uh, we think of rulers and officials as people in high positions, people who have a lot of earthly authority or influence. So we don't think of ourselves that way, but the reality is this, all of us have some of that. There, there's always somebody watching you. There's always somebody following you, following your example, making a mental note of who you are and what you're doing and how you're handling life, which means that you are in a position to be prideful. You are in a position to flaunt your authority. You know, you think of the friend at work who started at the bottom of the, the ladder at work, works his or her way up quickly, and all of a sudden they start to treat you a little differently, right? Uh, or maybe you're a single adult, and uh, you've been looked down on by a married person. And, and this married person's giving you that, oh, you're still single vibe, right? Uh, what are they doing? They're being prideful. They're flaunting what they have and all of this kind of stuff. All of us can be prideful and flaunt these kinds of things. You know, here, here's another illustration. This would strike right home with me. You know, think about the last time. Uh, you ran into somebody that you hadn't seen for years, maybe since high school, someone you went to high school with, and you, you run into them at the grocery store or you run into them at, um, at a class reunion or whatever, and you've not seen them for years. What goes through your mind in the very first split second of seeing that person you've not seen since high school? I'll tell you what I do. In that very first instance, and I'm not proud of this, but I, I think it's our human tendency, I make a snap judgment in that first second. I make a snap judgment about that person. You know, you remember how they used to be in high school or wherever. You see them in this moment years later, and you kind of size them up. You know, how, how have they done since high school? They used to be super smart. They used to be super cute. They seemed like they were the one that was most likely to succeed. But obviously, they've missed that opportunity. Uh, you know, by looking at them in this first split second, they obviously haven't made great choices. Or just the opposite. Maybe back in the day, they weren't really that big of a deal. But now you're going, oh, wow, man, they're doing really well. And then, follow me here. Tell me if this isn't true. With Within seconds of making that snap judgment uh, of sizing them up, the very next second my tendency is to compare myself to them. Does that sound familiar? And that comparison either makes me feel really good about myself 
or really bad about myself. Uh, if you see that person and they've obviously made a mess of their life, their relationship status isn't great, maybe they're not looking that good anymore, maybe uh, you know, their career is kind of you know, struggling or whatever, in my head I think, okay, okay, I haven't done too bad. Is this okay for me to just be this honest with you? Okay, compared to how they've done over the last 25, 30 years, whatever, I've not done too bad, right? Um, or it's just the opposite. They weren't that big of a deal back in the day, but now you're going, oh, wow, man, you are really... And then I'm sitting there thinking, man, I wish I wouldn't have played so many video games in college. Or, man, I wish I would have stuck to that diet, Right? Listen, our, our, our usual path to greatness that Jesus is saying not to take, that path to get greatness always leads to comparison. Comparison. When you think that the things of this world are what bring you significance, are the things of this world are what bring you greatness, right? Um, that's... that's where we're playing that comparison game. And that's what's going on with the disciples here. The disciples are saying, Jesus, will you put us in seats of authority? We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to be great. We want to feel like we're significant compared to others around us. And Jesus says, no, if you get those seats, you're going to look down on other people around you. You're going to boast about it. You're going to compare yourself to them. This world's path to greatness always leads to comparison. There's always going to be people who make you feel really good about yourself. Don't say it out loud, but think of that person right now. You're going, man, they make me feel really good about myself. Can you think of who that is? There's also always going to be people around you who make you feel really bad about yourself. And, and here's the problem with using comparison as the path to greatness. And hear me. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Comparison will rob you of your joy 100% of the time. Comparison will steal away your joy 100% of the time. It will rob you of any satisfaction of the things that God has blessed you with to experience in life that God has given you. That comparison will rob you of all of that. If you're constantly comparing you're not going to enjoy what God has given you. Comparison, hear me, comparison never, never, never leads to peace. Uh, this, this path to greatness is what Jesus is warning us against in this passage of Scripture. Now, let's see what path Jesus recommends, uh, which, by the way, is the exact opposite of everything the world teaches. Okay, go on to verse 43. Jesus is looking at his disciples. He says, but among you it will be different. In, in other words, Jesus is saying, we're not going to play this comparison game. My disciples are not going to do the comparison thing. Right? Read on. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? And whoever wants to be first among you must be the what? 
of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, let's think about that concept of slavery and servanthood that Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, you've got to become that. Um, When we think of servanthood, when we think of slavery, our mind would go to the evils of early America, right? And that whole slavery system, and, and rightfully so. In the time of Jesus, slavery, servanthood looked different than the early American slavery and servanthood, but still there were some common threads no matter what century you were a servant in. And one of the key common threads is this, that a servant or a slave is at the bottom of the social status ladder, if they're on the ladder at all. They have no influence. No one perceives a servant or a slave to be great or significant. And so, you know, Jesus, this is not making sense. We're talking about becoming great. Jesus, you're talking about becoming a servant or a slave. It doesn't make sense. How does becoming a servant create significance in your life? Servants don't even typically speak. They don't have influence. Jesus, you understand that the path to greatness means that you've got to be able to lead people. You, the path to greatness is you've got to be a, a difference maker. You've got to have a platform to be seen, to be known. Jesus, you understand that servants, slaves, they don't have a platform. In fact, the role of a servant is not to be seen. Jesus, servants don't lead people, they, they serve people. This isn't how it's supposed to work because I, if I become a servant, I'm putting myself, my career, my dreams, my goals, my ambitions, all of those things, I'm putting all of those things at risk the second I become a servant or a slave like you're talking about, Jesus. Servants get overlooked when it comes to promotions. Servants don't fulfill their potential. They're at the mercy of others. Servants aren't even noticed, and and I'm with you. That's what makes sense in my head. But it's hard to argue with Jesus because he's not just teaching some theory here in a classroom. Jesus was an example of exactly about what he's talking about. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And In essence, Jesus showed how it was done. I mean, think about this. The one who had more of a birthright than any of us the one who had limitless power at his disposal, the one who created the world, the one who created everything in the world, the one who is, is the definition of greatness and power and success and fame and influence and wealth, he came to be a what? A servant, a slave. We talked about this this past Wednesday night in the life group that I attend. Which, which, by the way, can just a commercial. If you don't attend one of our life groups, man, I, w- I cannot encourage you enough. We have some awesome, awesome life groups going on right now where you learn together and you walk through life together and you connect with people together. Man, if you have any interest in all, please let us know. We have some incredible life groups. But in my life group I was in Wednesday night, basically... We were talking about the way of the cross, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about here, right? 
He's talking about a life that's lived by the way of the cross. It's not about me, my goals, my dreams, my ambitions. It's about Jesus and what he wants. He was born in a nobody town to a nobody family. We're going to celebrate this stuff over the coming weeks. He was willing to enter this world in poverty. Do you realize that Jesus is the only, only person who ever existed in all of humanity who had the option as to when and where and how he wanted to be born? And he's born in this nobody town to a nobody family to a life of poverty. He gave up his rights and privileges. He's a, he was a man going from town to town, um, never using his status as the son of God for any perks he even went to his death on a cross like a sheep to the slaughter, never once defending himself. The Roman soldiers whipped and beat Jesus. They placed a crown of thorns upon the head of Jesus. They led him up Mount Calvary. Jesus was crucified between two common criminals. And on the cross, he hung in agony. The soldiers divided his garments. They casted lots, or in other words, they gambled for his seamless robe. Various onlookers taunted him, clear down to the last breath. They treated Jesus like a nobody until the very end. And he humbly submitted himself as a servant, as a slave, to the Father's plan to do what he was supposed to do. Listen. Jesus was in the position of greatness that you and I want to follow. I, I mean, he could have had it all based on what the world says. All the fame, the power, the glory. But instead, he laid it down, even his life as, as a servant to everybody around him. So jesus is telling us that the way to be great is not with all this other stuff that the world says to strive for jesus is saying that the way to become great is by serving others by being a slave that's a cultural shift for us i want you to bow your heads for just a moment we're, we're going to do some more worshiping here in just a few minutes but uh, I want to ask this question as often as I can as I get ready to pray with you. Because even though this sermon isn't necessarily about salvation, it's, you know, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. Is there anyone here that you're going this morning, I've, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior, and man, I'd love to do that this morning. Troy, would you lead me in, in prayer? I'm just going to hold for a few seconds before I ask one more question. If that's you, would you just stand up right where you're at? Anybody? I want to become a Christian this morning. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live this life he's calling me to. Just stand up right where you're at. Okay, question number two. Is there anyone here that would go, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. But I got to be honest this morning, the Holy Spirit's dealing with me. You know, maybe I've relied a little bit too heavily on some of this other stuff that the world says to seek after. Not bad intentions, not evil motives, not any of this, but, but the Holy Spirit's just calling me, calling me this morning to refocus on this lifestyle that Jesus points us to. Is there anyone right now that just say, the Lord's dealing with me. Would you just stand up right where you're at so I can pray for you? Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. 
It's just us. Anyone else? The Lord's just calling me to focus on this stuff more, to speak into my life, for me to live this life that he's calling us to. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Lord, we come before you in this moment as these who are standing. They're just, Lord, we know they love you and they're, they want to follow you. But Lord, and I pray this prayer for myself. I'm standing with them. Lord, help us to stay focused on you. Help us to stay focused on the life that you've called us to. Help us to keep our eyes on you and not, not chase after the things that this world says will bring us significance, but may we always understand where true significance and true greatness comes, and that's in this kingdom lifestyle that you call us to. Lord, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for those who were baptized in the first service. What a great, great morning as they were laying down their lives going, I, I want to follow this life of service that Jesus is calling me to. And we celebrate that and we thank you for that this morning, Lord. You are awesome. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for continuing to guide us. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's continue in worship this morning.
I, I just wanted to read to you two of the testimonies from this morning. Sarah was one of the young ladies that got baptized, eight years old. She said, when I was five in my mom's room, we were spreading a, or reading a Bible story, and I asked my mom if I could ask Jesus into my heart. So we prayed together, and I did. Whenever I am struggling with something, I pray, and Jesus helps me. I want to be baptized because I want the world to know that I love Jesus and that he is very important to me. And then there's Kylie, nine years old. I've been going to church since I was a baby, but ever since I could understand people, that's when I started learning about God and how I know I can trust him to help me in my, any situation I have, good or bad, no matter what. I get scared, we all do, and I don't know about you but when I'm scared I know I can trust God to keep me safe don't you love the simple faith of a child amen she says I'm still scared even even though I know God is there but I feel much better knowing that he's there with me I'm 
getting baptized this morning to show the whole world how much I trust and love God. This, again, this eight-year window, the number of folks we've had commit their lives to Christ, the number of folks we've had being baptized, including even this morning in the first service, I'm so grateful. Can, can I just tell you that God is still in the business of not just making bad people good, but bringing, making dead people alive. Amen. And we're going to sing, we're going to close with this song that talks about that. Death was arrested. God's still in that business. And man, I'm so glad to know that. And I challenge us to leave this place this morning and share that message of hope with our world. Can we do that? Amen. Ryan, lead us.
darkness rejoices over heaven at last. We sing it in victory, but then. Have a great week.